Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio today. We're going to talk a little about fertility and try to answer the question, maybe, <laughs> when is the best time to buy your fertilizer? If you've got any questions about that or anything going on in your farm, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, used to be Twitter, AgPhD Media or Brian Hefty. All right, so first on the show today, uh, we don't often have guests in studio, but Galen Beer has agreed to join us here. He is in studio. He's with AgroLiquid. Galen, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Brian? Excellent. All right, so AgroLiquid is a big fertilizer company, liquid fertilizer company, and I'm just curious, what are you telling your customers in terms of just the outlook for fertilizer overall as we go into 2024. Yeah, so and we're being very frank with uh, the growers out there. The what we're telling them is, you know, the market dynamics have stabilized a little bit. Um, I think we all recognize there's risks out there that we didn't used to think existed in the way of supply chain. But uh, as far as the market dynamic, it feels like that more normal year where we went through a reset there in July. We've actually seen some demand pick up since then because, you know, some of the products probably got a little over or underpriced or overdone, however you want to look at that. And so we've seen a little bit of a rebound. So it feels like the typical type of year where input costs uh, for fertilizer manufacturers are a little cheaper in the fall. The demand is a little lower. And I would expect that we might would see some uptick as we head into spring. Now, there are going to be some competing forces as I see it here. So I was just reading today how Saudi Arabia, for example, is cutting oil production. Well, what does that mean? Usually higher oil price uh, then, and that a lot of times can have a big impact because, let's face it, with fertilizer, I mean, there's a lot of trucking expense and all that. So that's one side of things. On the other end of things, um, you see the corn price going down. Now, I don't think that's going to continue, but maybe it does. And a lot of times what we see is with lower commodity prices, well, maybe fertilizer ends up going down too. So, I mean, as a farmer, I'm kind of pulled both ways. I don't know. Should I buy now? Should I wait? I mean, <laughs> what what should I do, Galen? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, if you're looking for a definite answer, don't look over to me. But uh, I, I have some of those same thoughts that you're having right now because – uh, the last thing we want to see is a three uh, in the front of a bushel of, you know, the price right. of a bushel of corn. The, and But at the same time, it, the 2024 contract has actually been running a little higher. So mm-hmm. if a person's going to say, I'm going to use this fertilizer for 2024, and that's going to be my revenue stream, then they might do a little bit different evaluation there. Uh, again, you know, a couple of other things that I look at, you mentioned oil and I, you know, the transportation costs to me never seemed to come down after they went up. So yeah. I, th- I th- almost think we got to cross through $150 a barrel of oil for that to impact us. But sure. I will say that, uh, interest rates, uh, if there's sure. one thing yeah. I'm hearing this year, guys are a lot more conscientious uh, of the interest rates and the cost uh, of interest and borrowing that money to buy inputs. Yep. 
I agree with you 100%. I just think about for our own farm, we were borrowing at 2%, at 2% for many years. And now, I, I mean, we're not paying 10%, but there are a lot of people that are paying 9 and 10%. And that's a big change. It is. If you start uh, looking at all the, the things you need to do with your money, you know, in the way of herbicides and fertilizer, uh, I think that you're, you know, by the time you say, okay, if I could buy nitrogen at 46 cents a pound or whatever that number is, if you're honest with your true cost when spring gets here, you've got some additional costs, then it becomes, will it appreciate that much? And I'm kind of selling against myself here, but I, I just really want to lay it all out there for growers. Well, sure. that there's not an easy answer. If it were me and I could lock in corn in 2024 and still show a profit, I think it's a good decision to make, but there are a lot more variables out there for guys to consider. There are, but you bring up a great point, and that's one of the things we usually talk to people about. If you want to buy your inputs in the fall, usually that's a good way to go, but then we suggest selling some of your crop at the same time for next year, so at least you know, hey, on these bushels, this is where I'm at. It's a big gamble if you don't do that. I mean, yeah. obviously, it'd be great to buy input costs cheap and then have that corn rally. <laughs> but it could go the other way. <laughs> it can. And and then you're really squeezed because there went your profitability. Yeah. So you have to live to farm that next year. All right. Let's change gears a little bit. Um, we got just a little bit of time left with you. And again, thanks for joining us today. Uh as far as liquid fertilizer goes, we continue getting lots of questions about putting fertilizer on with the planter. So just talk to us about just safety of liquid fertilizer and furrow in general. Yeah, so I, I mean, we always ask a lot of questions, as you know, before we make a recommendation, because there's no one size fits all. A low CEC soil, that's cool and wet, behaves differently than a high CE soil that's already warmed up. But yep. by and large, what we tell guys to do is, you know, keep their... It's it can be safe like agro liquid. We protect ours in and safen it for that seed. Yeah. Uh, but we always tell them to focus their dollar too on those nutrients that are going to give them the best bang for the buck. And we know phosphorus is one of those nutrients. Yep. And and then you guys talk a lot about soil tests and using that as a guideline. Micronutrients aren't cheap, but if you have a soil test to tell you which micronutrients you should focus that dollar on, that helps. I. I, but for me, I'm comfortable up to five gallons uh, per acre, but we have areas that go higher than that. But it, you know, today's corn seed and things like that, you, you don't want to get so risky with that uh, input of fertilizer on the seed that it becomes counterproductive sure. for you. Yeah, and you bring up micronutrients, and we do talk about soil testing a lot because the big thing is we're trying to, as farmers, play the odds all the time. So at least if we know, hey, we're really short on this one micronutrient, maybe it's zinc or copper or something else, you say they're, they're not cheap, but by the same token, you don't need much. That's when right. You only need a tenth of a pound or a or five hundredths of a pound. We're not talking a lot of total dollars, and that could be a big Absolutely. All right. Well, again, we've been talking with Galen Beer with AgriLiquid. Galen, thanks for the time today. Appreciate you joining us in studio. You bet. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. We're going to talk a little more about fertilizer right after this. Stay tuned. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. 
AgroLiquid. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com, then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.claas.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. Today we're just talking a little about fertilizer and when's the best time to buy fertilizer. So I, I guess as I've studied this thing for pretty much my whole life, on average, usually you are ahead to buy your fertilizer in the summertime. That's August, maybe September. And typically you're going to you're going to hit the seasonal low. Now it's not always that way, and that's the thing. It's probably two years out of ten where spring might be the low. So how do you know when things are going to be the low? Well, tomorrow is September 1, and with a lot of the big egg chem manufacturers, their new year starts either September 1 or October 1. And so I've been going around doing meetings with farmers here over the last few weeks, just talking about what we see coming in 2024. And one of the big things is many ag chem products are going to be down and some are going to be at an all-time low. So here's the reason why I'm telling you that story. And let's think about fertilizer. When we hit all-time lows, or at least let's call it the lowest we've seen in 5, 10, 15 years, how much more is it going to go down? Could it go down? Sure. But we feel like, okay, the downside risk, not tremendously high. On the flip side, if we are paying all-time highs, then <laughs> what's the odd, what are the odds it's going to go higher yet? Usually it's less. It's still there, but usually it's less. And so this is one of the things that I've been telling a lot of these farmer groups is, I had a grandpa who was a farmer, then became a banker, and he lived through the Depression. My dad, obviously, lived through the 1980s, and I was in high school and college in the 80s, but I wasn't the guy paying the bills on the farm, so I guess I'd never realized how difficult it was until we got all through that, and later in life, I learned how <laughs> how, how rough the 80s really were, and I mean, how little money we were making at the time. But anyway, my point here is, 
I got to hear my entire life from both of my grandpas and my dad about risk management. It's just constant. It was constant risk management because they lived through all these tough times. And one of the biggest things was just, okay, always evaluating what's your downside risk, what's your upside risk. So in a year like this year where you go, okay, well, we're off the highs that we saw a couple years ago, but we're not at the lows that we would have seen three years ago. We go, hmm, what should I do here? Because as I see it, there's upside risk and downside risk. So I, I, I mean, that's where I'll just put it this way. For me and on our farm, am I going to buy some fall fertilizer? You bet. When we do, we're going to be selling a little bit of crop ahead. But then the other side of it is we probably aren't going to buy every last thing, but it depends a little bit too on the fall that you have. And here's what I mean by that. So the way it's shaping up and what it looks like to me is we're going to be able to do almost anything we want to get done on the fall on the farm this fall. We already started silage harvest last week. I mean, er, earlier than normal. The soybeans, we have some early maturing soybeans that are going to be ready very soon. We have been in a three over three year drought now. We've been way behind on moisture for over three years. So where I'm going with all this is we should be able to spread any fertilizer we want to get done in the fall. Now I'm not saying nitrogen, but I am saying phosphorus, potassium, zinc, copper, I mean, just about any nutrient you can think of other than nitrogen, we're probably going to do all our fertility work this fall. Okay, so if we're going to do it all this fall and it really, really looks like that, then my only question is, should I buy today or in a couple weeks or in, let's call it, three or four weeks when we get started on that that fertilizer program? You know, how much are prices going to change here in the next few weeks? So it kind of reminds me of how my grandpa always used to say, uh, and this was the other grandpa, not the banker grandpa, but the other one, he would always talk about risk management in this in in this way. He'd say, look, you can't outguess the markets. You're not going to know how when corn's going to be at its high or soybeans are going to be at its high or anything else. So he said, Why, how about this? Just sell one-twelfth of your crop every month. Or better yet, he said, one-fifty-second of your crop every week. So that way you have an average price and you spent zero time on marketing, which gives you 100% of your time to spend on raising a better crop. So you got an average price and you should raise a better crop because you're spending all your time on that. And that was his philosophy. So I think about that with this fertilizer thing here where I go, okay, within the next four weeks, I got to buy pretty much all the fall fertilizer that I'm going to apply on my farm because we're going to be really rolling hard by the 1st of October. So should I maybe buy a little bit every week? Maybe. And if you can work something out with your retailer or whoever, whatever supplier you've got, so you can get some shipments staggered in through the fall or something, like in my case, where again, we're going to put everything on this fall. I mean, unless we get unbelievable rain this fall, uh, because it would take a lot for our ground now to be too wet when everything is absolutely bone dry. Um, I just say, yeah, I'm I'm probably going to do everything this fall. So, we haven't started buying any fertilizer for our farm yet, but we probably will 
coming up real soon. So anyway, I realize this isn't uh, the possibly the answer you were looking for to say, well, Brian said buy it now, and so we're going to buy now. I, I don't know. When, when that fertilizer price is kind of middle of the road, it really could go either direction. And when we opened the show and I just said, you know, I've seen corn prices go down a lot, like two bucks here in the last few weeks, I'm going, whoa, that usually means the fertilizer price goes down. So th- this goes back a number of years ago, and I was in a presentation with a Federal Reserve Bank, and they were just showing with ag commodities and how things kind of moved. And it was very interesting that prior to just a few years before that, the markets kind of moved based on supply and demand. And then they were showing it reached a point where the world fertilizer market, and I'm talking about the great big players that control, uh, I mean, there are only a handful of them that control most of the fertilizer in the world. Um, Once it got to that point and got so consolidated, they really saw fertilizer markets and they were just showing how fertilizer markets moved much more based on commodity prices than on supply and demand. So my point here is, generally speaking, when commodity prices go up, fertilizer follows, and when commodity prices go down, fertilizer follows. Now, it doesn't move as quickly down, but it does move. And so, again, I'm going to leave you with this statement that if you want to buy some fertilizer now, if you're going to put on a bunch of fertilizer this fall, I'm great with that. I don't know for sure it's the best time, but I'm great with that. I will say I love getting the work done in the fall. That's awesome. So now you can plant early in the spring. That usually means more yield. But anyway, if you're going to be buying fertilizer soon, I would usually encourage you to be selling some of your crop ahead for next year. So at least you got something locked in because worst case scenario, you buy when fertilizer is high, you sell when the commodity price is cheap. That usually doesn't add up to the point where you have real good profits. The other big thing that I really want to encourage you to do, because a lot of people get hung up on the the buying part, and it's, well, boy, I could have saved 10 cents on this here or there. You know, a lot of times, yes, you can you can save money, and it's real easy because hindsight's always 20-20. But what I want you to think about is, is there a way to take whatever fertilizer dollar you spend and have it be a better investment for your farm. And the biggest way you can do that is taking soil tests, taking a look at your soil test, understanding what they mean, and then applying the right fertilizer in the right place at the right time. So even if you do pay a little bit more for your fertilizer, you get a better return on that investment. So that's probably the number one thing. And I can just tell you, like for our farm, it has really helped us transform our farm. So I don't worry quite as much what the commodity price is and what the fertilizer price is. And don't get me wrong, I'm trying to maximize both things or minimize fertilizer costs, maximize uh, my my grain sales. But by the same token, if I do a great job with placing that fertilizer where it needs to be, variable rate and all these kind of things, it's awesome. We get a much better return on investment no matter what we paid for that fertilizer. Well, stay tuned. We'll, We'll talk just a little bit more about fertility right after this. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. 
Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. We're talking about fertility today. And next on the show, we've got John Laporte with us. He is with Michigan State University as a farm business management educator. John, how are you today? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Doing great. All right, so our question today was, when is the best time to buy fertilizer? And we don't expect that you or anyone else knows for sure when is the best time. But what are your insights when people ask you that question? You know, it's a really good question, uh, especially considering historically where we've been the last couple of years. Because when you look at Typically, the best time to buy has been usually in the fall of every year, going into that next year's production. But as we saw recently, that's not always been the case. Uh, this last year, especially for 2023, as 
we saw those fertilizer prices coming down. Uh, it was really a case of where if you bought more this spring versus last fall, you were kind of a little bit ahead in the game. And so one of the things I typically point out to people is try to get an understanding of what's going on within the markets, know what those market conditions are, and especially as we look at where prices are. You think about fertilizer, uh, nitrogen, potassium, phosphate, they've all got a couple different things that they kind of follow or track. Nitrogen, we get a lot of press on the fact that it's correlated pretty well with corn prices, natural gas prices. Those are some good indicators to look at to get an idea of where that price may be going. But I'll tell you, the number one thing I tell people is once you kind of understand where the market's going, you need to also think about identifying your needs on your farm and maximizing your cash position. Because every farm's different. And, and that's usually the tough thing is that one answer for farm A is going to be a bit different or maybe not work as well for farm B. And so you've got to kind of look internally a little bit about what your needs are and, and how to maximize your cash position. Okay, so talk to us just a little bit more about that because the way I kind of look at it this fall, through a lot of the Midwestern United States, we've had a relatively dry year. We've had lots of heat units. So I think that harvest is going to be one to two weeks ahead of normal, which means more fertilizer should get applied this fall. So interest rates are higher. You're going to put on a whole bunch of fertilizer in the fall. You talk about cash management, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I'm going to, I may need a whole bunch of cash this fall if I want to do that. Right. That's exactly one of the, the main concerns is thinking through how much you got to spend. Um, but then also kind of looking at where those, those market prices are for, for our fertilizer. If you think back, a good comparison to use, is looking at a couple different ratios you can think through. The the main one that I focus on for people right now is kind of do a crop to fertilizer price ratio. If you compare where we're at right now, uh, looking, well, let's say use corn as an example, and corn compared to nitrogen. The way to do the ratio, uh, real quick, we won't get too math heavy here, but you, you take the price per pound, of that nutrient and you divide it by the you know adjust it by the the crop price but you got to make sure to adjust the crop price back to a pound so we're talking corn you divide by 56 pounds soybeans would be 60 pounds to use their our test weight average you get a good ratio to see where we act comparatively over time and if you look at where prices are right now we're about in line to where we were in the spring and even the fall of 2021. So what that means is our fertilizer prices right now are any more expensive than what they were before we saw these huge drive up in prices. And so comparatively speaking, now is not a bad time to be looking at uh, buying some fertilizer. But the idea of identifying needs goes right back to something. I, I know that uh, uh, you folks talk a lot about on your show goes back to really some fundamentals around soil testing and knowing what you've got to have or what you've got to work with within that soil. Because you need to understand where those bigger needs are going to be. Where do you need to put those dollars? If you've got soil that is pretty well maintained that maybe you don't have to put a lot of potassium on, you don't have a lot of phosphate, 
But you know that nitrogen is going to be a big pusher out there, for especially for our corn farmers. Then you can kind of say, that's where I need to prioritize my dollars at. That's the one I really want to spend some time focusing on, on spending. And then you can kind of think about, all right, what steps do I need to use uh, to actually kind of help me make those purchases? You've got tax implications, because we like to spend a lot of uh, our prepaid dollars. We want to make sure we're minimizing that tax liability that we got to pay out to, uh, to Uncle Sam at the end of every year. So we want to be able to maximize our tax liability, get some prepaids in there, but we don't want to overspend and buy a whole lot to then push down our cash reserves to nothing. And so that's one of the things is keep in mind your tax implications. Uh, the other thing to think about is also maybe spreading out some of your risk a little bit. Yep. Um, we borrow a lot of concepts from grain marketing when we think about buying inputs. You know, with grain marketing, we don't sell everything all at, at once. Logistically, that's a nightmare. Um, but when you're buying, you want to kind of do the same thing where you strategically buy things a little bit at a time if you can, prioritize when you know you've got a good price, and then maybe filter in some extra purchases along the way so you spread out those high price risks, especially if we think prices might continue to go down as time progresses. Good points there, John. And I guess as you were going through all that, I was thinking, wow, this seems a little more complicated than I have manure, I'm going to put it out there and I'm done. <laughs> that, that was when we were growing up on the farm. That, that was our fertilizer program on a lot of fields. And now we got a lot of commercial fertilizer to buy. And yeah, we start talking about the timing. And the other thing is it's just, it's a lot of dollars when you add it up. We farm quite a few acres. And I mean, in any given year, we might spend a half a million dollars on fertilizer. Well, you know, you want to give it more than five minutes worth of thought if you're going to spend half a million bucks on something. Absolutely. It's it's one of those things where you really need to sit down and, and kind of what, what I like to call put together an input purchasing plan almost, where you're really thinking intentionally about what is it I need to buy, what especially what are the larger amounts that I need to buy, because as you, you kind of get the quantities figured out, you know, there are opportunities out there for things like quantity discounts. There may be some financing discounts that are out there that if you know how much you need, you can take advantage of those. Uh, if you've got on-farm storage, and that's become a more common thing than what it was maybe a decade ago, uh, especially on the liquid side of things, although yep. I know some farms have been putting on some of that dry storage. And it's kind of like the old adage, if it's sitting empty, it's not making you any money. It's certainly still costing you money. Mm -hmm. And utilize that in some of your planning that you've got it on the farm if you can start capturing some of those products, especially the ones you need the most of, put your dollars towards those, and then you can kind of plan out, okay, when do I need to go get the rest of the stuff I need? I've captured a lot of my, my large quantity needs. How do I filter in the rest to make sure I've got what I need? And, and think about those cash dollars you got to spend to get there. Yeah, and you're right. There is more on-farm storage than there used to be, and that can be a big deal because there are a number of companies that they want to get rid of product. They want to move product early, so they'll give you a oh, little absolutely. advantage if you'll take it early. All right, well, we've been talking with John Laporte. He is with Michigan State University. John, this is great stuff. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I, uh, this is a pleasure. 
All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, yeah, when we we start talking about fertilizer, I, I guess for anybody listening today, we're just going to advise you, please, please do some soil testing, work with your agronomist, try to figure out what you need. And I think that was one of John's key points there in, in just focusing on what you need, because if you're limited in terms of a budget, <laughs> rather than just assuming, well, everybody, it's N, P, and K, and it's this certain ratio or whatever. No, let's look at those soil tests. Let's try to figure out how can we fine-tune this thing and spend our dollars in the best way, especially if we're limited on those dollars. And then it's even other things like, boy, if you have your soil pH right, you have your drainage right, some of that kind of stuff, maybe that allows for less tie-up of the nutrients you apply. It can get a little complicated, but try to keep it as simple as you can. Stay tuned. Be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y in his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051.
come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question of the day comes from Joe Paulo down in Brazil. And here's the question. I put 800 pounds per acre of MAP, that's 1152 on, plus crop extraction the last two years. My phosphorus malic 1 test went up 20 parts per million on soil analysis. So we have what you guys call red dirt around here. And according to my numbers here, that basically means it's taking me 40 pounds of MAP for a one part per million increase in soil. Do you think we will need less MAP to get to 100 parts per million as the phosphorus is getting higher? Now, my crop is getting better every year as we improve soil fertility. And also, I put on about 400 pounds of potash. And he attached soil tests from 2021 and 2023. All right. So let's first run run through some simple math. 40 pounds of MAP. How much should that actually increase a soil test level of P? All right. Here's how we figure this out. First of all, we got to see how much phosphate do we actually have in that MAP? All right, we said already it's 1152. So that means the 11 numbers nitrogen, the 52 number is phosphate. So if you take your 40 pounds you applied, or, or I mean just the 40 pounds you're saying right now, and, and that's increasing one part per million on the soil test, here's what it should be. All right, so 40 times 0.52, that means we have 20.8 pounds of phosphate there. Okay, 20.8 pounds of phosphate in every 40 pounds of MAP. All right, pretty simple math. We're going to make it a little more complicated now, though. We're going to convert this over to phosphorus because your soil tests are in phosphorus and MAP is phosphate. And you might say, well, wait, that's the same thing. No, it's not the same thing. You have to divide by 2.3. And then you take your phosphate number divided by 2.3. That'll give you phosphorus. So 20.8 divided by 2.3 is 9 pounds of phosphorus. So what I'm saying is in every 40 pounds of MAP, there are 9 pounds of phosphorus. And then if let's assume this was a 6-inch soil test, which he doesn't say and I don't see it anywhere on here if it tells us the depth, but we'll assume it's a 6-inch soil test. If that's the case, we always say in a 6-inch soil test that's representing 2 million pounds of soil. So you simply, to convert pounds into parts per million, you divide by two. So nine pounds divided by two means that we have 4.5 parts per million of phosphorus. So in other words, every 40 pounds of MAP you apply, your soil test should go up 4.5 parts per million on phosphorus, assuming that you put more phosphorus on to take care of crop removal. Okay, so when you say, um, I'm only going up one part per million, and I'm saying you should be going up four and a half, why could those numbers be different? Let me throw a few things out. First of all, on the Malik 1 test, they say that um, that's not going to give you as high an extraction as Malik 3. In other words, uh, it's usually one and a half times more roughly uh, for Malik 3. So in other words, if my Malik 1 showed 100 parts per million, my Malik 3 might show 150. So that could explain part of it. So instead of it being 1 on the Malik 1 test, it's it might be one and a half on Malik 3. So at least we're a little bit closer. Why else could there be a difference here? Uh, we could have pulled from a different place in the field. And even if you're off 30 feet, it could be different. Uh, 
it could, and that's why we always use GPS points. If you use GPS points, now you're right in the same area and hopefully you get more repeatability moving forward. Um, there could be tie-up. Now, a lot of times it's still going to show up in the soil test, but you could have tie-up. So what could be tying it up in your soil? Um, I look at your pH is pretty low. I mean, you got a lot of pHs that are in the fives and even a little bit in the fours. So could that have some kind of impact? Yes, that could be a part of it. Um, it also could be that maybe you didn't get on what you thought the crop removed. So if you were a little short on that, there could be a difference there too. So anyway, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know much what to tell you other than to say, for every 40 pounds you put on of MAP, your soil test should be going up, if I if you have a Malik 3, by four and a half parts per million, not one. So hopefully over time, you're going to see more of that. And I, I'm going to come back to one of the things he said, where the crop has been getting better. Are you sure you're figuring crop removal correctly? Because if you aren't, then you've got more of that phosphorus you applied that you thought was going to be on a build program, and it's actually just going into feeding that crop. All right, next question here comes from Michael. He says, hey guys, I want to kill off this grass in my sister's lawn. <laughs> I plan to rip it up and plant Kentucky bluegrass. My problem is this, no soil testing service is giving me a nitrogen report on the sample. How are you guys able to get your nitrogen tested and onto a report? Okay, so Michael, it's pretty simple. Like we, we do a lot of soil testing on our farm. In fact, our some of our people are out soil testing today. And we'll just pull six-inch soil cores. We'll usually pull eight to 12 of them in a small area. We throw them in a sample bag, and then we send them off for analysis. Almost every lab out there can give you a nitrate report. Now, you mentioned, and I didn't read this part of his question, but he just mentioned base saturation. That is a different report, and base saturation is going to be basically a ratio of magnesium, potassium, calcium, sodium, and hydrogen. So nitrogen is not part of that. Sulfur is not part of that. And in a lawn, nitrogen and sulfur are perhaps the two most important nutrients for the lawn. Not necessarily the soil. I'm going to still argue calcium is more important for the soil. But anyway, so where I'm going with this is what I would do is I would send in for a complete uh, test rather than just nitrate. And I, so for example, we use Midwest Labs out of Omaha, Nebraska. We send them a sample. We run the S3C or the S3C Malik test. It's a complete test that gives me my nitrate, also gives me base saturation, also gives me my sulfur level, and all these other things. And I do this even for my own lawn. And then I see, okay, how are we sitting? I want to know what that pH is. I want to know what all these things are. And the good news is when we're talking about a lawn, if we got a major problem out there, it doesn't cost that many total dollars usually to fix it. Now, if I'm farming like we do 3,500 acres and I get a major problem across all 3,500 acres, it's going to cost me a lot of dollars to fix that. So that's why I never mind investing a few dollars in my lawn because grand total, the dollars aren't that much. But that's kind of what you're looking for. All right, next one here is from Jaden. He says, uh, hi, guys, we have soils around 35 to 40 cation exchange capacity, so that's pretty heavy ground. Anyway, he's wondering here, how much rain or irrigation does it take for the nutrients in the soil, like nitrogen, potassium, and phosphate, to leach out of the soil and be wasted? All right, well, Jaden, I got good news for you. When you have really heavy soil like that, it takes a lot of rain to flush stuff out. So 
first of all, when we say nitrogen, there are two main forms of nitrogen you're, you're typically going to find in soil. There's nitrate and there's ammonium. Ammonium isn't leaching. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that. That's why we like keeping nitrogen in the ammonium form. That's also the form the plant prefers. With nitrate, on the other hand, that will leach. But in heavy soil like that, it's going to take a fair amount to push that out of the soil, and it's going to take some time. Okay, so I, I'm not like super worried, but nevertheless, we don't want to get crazy. What we usually say as a guideline for how much nitrogen your soil can hold at any one time, take 10 times your CEC. So if you take 10 times even your low end of 35, that's 350 pounds of nitrogen your soil can hold roughly. Again, it's not going to hold it forever, and it's not going to hold it if you get great big rains, and it's already in the nitrate form, but I'm just saying you can feel pretty good. Now, phosphate, you're never going to lose it. Potassium, um, the odds are extremely slim you're going to lose it in a 35 to 40 CEC soil. But if you get a ridiculous amount of rain, let's say you're getting 100 inches of rain a year for five years in a row, yes, then I would worry about my potassium leaching away. But like where we farm, the ground is frozen five months out of the year. We get 20 inches of rain. Uh, that includes the snow. <laughs> we're never losing our potassium. We're, there's zero chance we're ever losing our phosphate. Now, you might say, and, and for some of our listeners, they might go, whoa, wait, phosphorus can leach. Okay, if, you're, if you have phosphorus in a soil at a normal level, let's say it's 100 parts per million, 200, 300, I'm not worried about it. But in some cases, there are some people that will have 1,000 parts per million of phosphorus or 5,000 parts per million of phosphorus. At that level, sure, then it's leachable. But what I'm talking about is normal levels of P and K in the soil. I'm not too worried about leaching. So, Jaden, uh, you can sleep easy tonight. All right, stay tuned. We're going to get to more of your questions right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a John Deere compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. 
Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. Looking for a herbicide as versatile and reliable as your favorite pocket knife? Anthem Flex Herbicide offers the versatility you need to keep your crops clean. Protect your wheat this season with unmatched flexibility and extended residual control of broadleaf weeds and tough grasses, including Italian ryegrass. Minimize resistance and help maximize yields with Anthem Flex Herbicide. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, just email us radio at agphd.com or you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. So yesterday we were talking about uh, a product that a farmer had asked about, Topfoss, and uh, he sent some more information here, and I apologize, I don't have the name. Um, he just says, uh, sorry, I, my, I, my question was really vague. Uh, anyway, this product is a low-salt product that's got some humic in it. They're telling me that the humic actually helps basically safen things. And I'm, I feel like I'm getting like very high availability in year one, even in our high pH soils. So I was curious if this is something you guys have worked with. And, uh, and I'm talking about highly available, low-salt phosphorus products in the seed furrow uh, because I'm seeing results even in soybeans and canola. Oh, and it looks like he is north of the border, he says, so must be from Canada. Anyway, um, yeah, so we've done a lot of work with stuff in furrow. I'll, I think I said it on the show yesterday, but we worry a lot when we start talking about soybeans. Soybeans are much more sensitive to salt and then fertilizer, of course, than corn is, and especially compared to wheat. So have we done some work? Absolutely. We just still encourage people keep the rate real low. We really like low-salt liquid products, but it's got to be some very low rate because we have seen issues from time to time when conditions are really dry it, 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 it can happen. So I would say we're always using stuff in furrow, even low salt products, or I mean the low salt products, using them in furrow, in corn. And then when we start talking about soybeans, yeah, we'll use a little bit. We just keep the rate real low. All right. Uh, let's get to our next question here. It is from, uh, well, I can't pronounce the name, uh, Lyaquat. Uh, anyway, talking about we had commenting on one of our videos that we had talked about calcium and magnesium on ag phd the tv show and anyway just says here i saw a a clay soil report where it's high in calcium but the ph is down around five 
So what would be a good option to raise the soil pH, dolomitic lime or calcitic lime? All right, I want to see this soil test where calcium is high and the pH is low because I don't typically see that. Now, different labs report things different ways. And so I'm just curious if um, we've got maybe a misunderstanding there or they do things differently than the way we do things or the way we see things commonly done. So I, I just want to verify that we're truly low on calcium. But the whole key is when you ask about dolomitic lime versus calcitic lime, it's real simple. If we need magnesium, we go dolomitic lime. If we don't need magnesium, we go calcitic lime. And usually for magnesium, we like it on the base saturation test to be somewhere around 10, 12, maybe even as high as 20%. So if you're somewhere in that range or going to be near that range already, then we're probably leaning toward calcitic lime. But if you've got single digit on the base saturation test, uh, single digit percentage for magnesium, then almost always we're talking dolomitic lime. So that's usually our, our key factor and what we're taking a look at. All right. Got Steve calling in from Michigan right now. Uh, just wants to talk a little about fertilizing corn. Hey, Steve, how are you? Hey, not bad. How are you doing today? Doing great. What can we do for you? So I'm just wondering, we're trying to split our nitrogen application. So we come out based off our CEC. We basically say 10 times our CEC number is what we can hold. We got some low CECs. I say low. We got some threes, fours, fives. Okay. So we're trying to make sure in that leach nitrogen out but on the other side of it it seems to be a race everybody says okay go out in spring throw down dry go through with the planter okay how fast can we side dress and to me i'm trying to figure out is there a percentage of uptake basing on the stages this year yep. i side dressed with wide drop as late as i could to try to make sure my lower cec soils were not losing that nitrogen do you guys have any type of simplification off off that with low CEC soil. Yeah, okay. So whether it's a low CEC soil or a high CEC soil, this is something that we're always going to tell going to encourage people to take a look at is when is the nitrogen uptake in the plant just like you mentioned. Uh, so yeah, there are universities that have that out there and just for example, last year at our Ag PhD corn workshop that we did, we pulled up a a nitrogen utilization chart that came from the International Plant Nutrition Institute. And my point on that slide was, if you go from emergence all the way to V9, just about V10, you're only going to need about 25% of the nitrogen you need for the year. But then when you go from that V9, V10 to silking, which and that usually does not take a long time, half the nitrogen is going to be used. Half. So like on our on our farm, and we might be a little bit warmer than you, Steve, where we're at in South Dakota here. But I mean, in our farm, we're only talking maybe three weeks and I got to have a ridiculous amount of nitrogen getting into that plant. So the things that I'm thinking about, because yeah, let's let's just throw this out there. I don't know what your yield is, but let's just say that a guy was shooting for 250 bushel corn and you go, boy, I'm going to need somewhere in the general ballpark, somehow, some way of 250 pounds of nitrogen or more. Um, if I only can put on, even if you had five CEC and we say, all right, well, five times 10, that's 50 pounds. 
oh my gosh, I'm putting nitrogen out there five times. Um, you can do that. And if I had irrigation, I would do that. I'd just throw a little nitrogen on every single time. But if you don't and you go, man, I don't want to make five trips, here are the things we're probably going to talk to you about. Um, first of all, it's using a nitrogen stabilizer. That's going to give that, that nitrogen the ability to stay in the soil in the ammonium form longer and you have less risk for leaching. And then the other big thing is just looking at how can I apply it when, at least closer to when that crop is going to need it. So for example, <laughs> applying a bunch in the fall probably isn't going to make much sense. Applying it real early in the spring, in your case, probably isn't going to make much sense. But if I get where I've got, let's say, knee-high corn and I know, hey, there's some hot weather coming up and it's going to take off on me and I'm going to use a whole bunch up quickly, that's awesome. So that's really kind of what we're after. And at that point, I'm willing to push it a little farther than that 10 times the CEC, especially if I've got a nitrogen stabilizer. So those are kind of the things that I would be thinking about, Steve. Does that mostly answer your question or what else What else are you curious about? No, I guess that, I mean, pretty much every year we're going to sit here and wait to see um, when we're hitting that most or, or the biggest growth stage and then yep. try to go crazy and, and go after it. Now, as you do that, though, my caution is always going to be this. I don't know right. how you're putting that on, but we have to get it into the plant. So my challenge where we farm is we have very little rain and we're in dry land. So I always am thinking about things earlier than most people that get rain on a regular basis because I know if I don't get the rain, my nitrogen doesn't get into the soil, doesn't get into the plant, and I'm in bad shape. I spend all that money and I don't get, I don't maximize my return on investment. So with your area, I know you get more rain than we do, but that's just always something I'm going to caution you on where you go, Ooh, boy. I mean, we're getting about to the time where I need it. There's a rain coming now, but I don't know if the next, when the next rain's going to come. And then you got to weigh this out because if they're forecasting three inches of rain, well, you might lose a whole bunch of the nitrogen you put on your super light soil. Uh, whereas for me, three inches of rain in my super heavy soil doesn't really hurt me. So yeah, it's, it, it's always going to be a challenge for you, Steve, because of the light soil. But I would just encourage you, I, I mean, just keep monitoring the thing. It sounds like you're doing a good job with, with that in terms of the timing and stuff. But, uh, yeah, if farming was easy, everybody would want to do it, I guess. Yeah, biologicals are helping, though, also. Good. Good deal. So, all right, thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we were talking about fertilizer today and when's the best time to buy fertilizer. And I'm, I'm glad that Steve was our last call of the day just because that's the important thing to keep in mind. When we do invest money in this fertilizer, we want to make sure we're getting a good return on investment. We don't want it leaching. We don't want loss. We want to maximize our return anytime that we're doing it. So anyway, if you ever have soil tests or any questions about fertility, you can certainly call or email us. We're more than happy to visit with you and hopefully help you out there. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was our producer for today's show. Thanks to everybody who called in with questions and, uh, and our guests as well that we had on the show today. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.